Um, I'd like to open up this, this morning. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Pastor Jay. I'm the worship pastor here. Uh, pastor Derek, unfortunately, had a, a death in the family, so they had to go to North Carolina. Um, so we're going to open up with a little prayer just for them. They're having their celebration of life this afternoon. Um, so let's bow our heads and we'll pray for, um, for our pastor and his family. Heavenly Father, as, we, as we've gathered here as a congregation, Lord, we lift up Pastor Derek and family um, in the, just, just comfort them, give them peace um, as they, they prepare to do a celebration of life this afternoon. Lord, we just, we pray that your, your arms will be around them, comfort them, help them to remember the good times, the, the positive times, and uh, that it would just be a blessing to those who are in attendance and remembering the, the life of, of, of Pastor Derek's mom, Linda. And we just thank you for that. And we just ask for this in your holy and precious name this morning. Amen. So, who's familiar with the hokey pokey? You put your left arm in, you put your left arm out, you put your left arm in. Everybody knows that song, right? So at the end of that little song, you typically say, you put your whole self in, you put your whole self out, right? So, like Mike read earlier, Paul writes in the first chapter, the first verse of the, uh, chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul's way of saying to present, it, or Paul's way of, to present your bodies is Paul's way of saying, put your whole self in. The song and dance routine we call worship involves offering our whole person to God. It's a little more difficult than the dance routine. I know the worship pastor talking about worship. There's a shocker, right? So a few moments ago is our tithes and offering time. We have plates. We have envelopes. We put our money or our checks in an envelope. We drop it in the plate. We hop on our phones. We do push pay to give online giving. We pay our tithe to acknowledge God's blessing in our lives. It represents our commitment to the ministry and our commitment to the congregation. It's part of of our worship. A few of us could probably use a little extra encouragement, but most of us understand what it means to make an offering to the church. But all of us most likely need some help with the idea of offering our, ourselves, our whole selves to God by putting our whole self in. I mean, we can't put ourselves in an envelope. We can't climb into the plate when it comes by and say, my offering to God today is me. I mean, let's be honest for a minute. Most of us don't come to a worship service prepared to give our whole selves over to God. Sunday rolls around and we have a routine. We wake up, we make some coffee, come to early service, Sunday school, maybe Sunday school, later service. What would happen if we brought those sins that need to be confessed on the Sunday? What if we brought questions that need to be answered and problems that needed solutions? What if we brought burdens that needed to be lifted and anxieties that needed to be dispelled, frustrations, depression, boredom, preoccupations, all distractions. I think many of us, it would probably be easier to take out our checkbook and double that tithe check we just wrote than it would be to turn our entire selves over to God. Hear me when I say this, church. We have not worshipped until we have given ourselves to God. Let me repeat that. We have not worshipped until we have given ourselves to God. Worship is the total commitment of the total person for the total life. Anything less is not genuine worship. Real worship is not merely the offering of elaborate prayers to God. 
It's not simply inspiring liturgy or splendid rituals. It's not the making of large donations. It's not the singing of majestic songs or listening to a sermon. Real worship happens when we confess sins, when we turn from that sin and offer ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to God. Would we dare not give ourselves wholeheartedly when we encounter the presence of God? Would we not fall at His feet, giving Him our all if we were caught up in His splendor and holiness? Would we not put our whole self in if we felt the love, the power of God Almighty? In the previous 11 chapters of Romans, Paul's dropping some pretty heavy-duty theology. Like I said, we've been going through the book of Romans in our small group. It's taken us a while, um, but we're slowly getting there. But Paul's letter to the Romans and Luke's account in Acts are the backbone of what we do in the modern-day church. But chapter 12, Paul makes a little bit of a transition. He shifts things a little bit. He goes from, these are your beliefs, to this is what your behavior should be. From the creed to a conduct. From doctrine to duty. Because what he's saying, and when he says, in view of God's mercy, what he means is, because of what God has done for you, here is how you should live. I heard it put this way in a podcast I was listening to the other day. He said, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to turn our theology into walkology. I liked that. We should live out our beliefs. So as you heard, I had Mike read all of chapter 12. Um, We're only going to cover the first couple of verses in this message, but um, to hear everything that Paul says in chapter 12. Um, So we're supposed to live out our beliefs. He uses this imperative 13 times in the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's quite a bit almost once per verse, or first chapter. But Romans 12 has, uh, has it 11 times. There's more commands than any other chapter in the New Testament. It's a chapter of action. I mean, if you're looking for a thesis for the book of Romans, it could probably be beliefs should impact behavior. Verse 1, in my opinion, is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. I mean, ask our small group whenever we, uh, I couldn't wait to get to chapter 12. I kept trying to jump ahead. I'm like, oh, we got to get to chapter 12. We're on chapter 8, Jay. I know, but have you read chapter 12? Check this out. I I couldn't contain my excitement. This is one of my, one and two are kind of my life verses. This really, this really, really hit me at one point, and and that's just kind of where I focus. But chapter, verse 1 gives us the what that we're supposed to do in response to God. Paul opens up with, therefore. When we see a sentence start with, therefore, it begs the question, what is it, therefore, right? In this instance with the word, therefore, Paul is saying, okay, taking into consideration what I have laid out in the previous 11 chapters, here's what you need to do. It's a call to arms, guys. I've been told that the most important part of the doctrine is the do at the beginning of the word. He really issues a challenge here. He's saying you haven't really learned the word unless you have lived the word. When you study the Bible on your own, do you bring it to bear in your own life? Are you a hearer of the word? Are you a doer of the word? What Paul's saying here is unless you are a doer of the word, you don't know the word. So check out this scenario. You're looking for the perfect entree for dinner on a Friday night. Scouring the interwebs, you find it. Chicken cacciatore. You read the recipe, 
makes your mouth water. It just—it sounds so delicious, so delectable. You memorize the recipe. You can recite that recipe to your friends, but you've never actually made the dish. But you can tell them how to do it. You don't know how to make it. You know how someone told you how to make it, but you've never made it. So until you've actually done it, it's just words on a page or on a website or something like that. It's the same type of concept. We can have verses, entire chapters even, committed to memory. Attend church every time the doors are open. We can host Bible studies. But if we're not applying the scripture to our lives, guys, changing behavior, it's all for nothing. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are God's mercies? Salvation, empowering through the Holy Spirit. God's love for us is unconditional. Is God a merciful God? You bet he is. He chose us. He's called us. He saved us, released us, broke our chains, is making a home for us in heaven. We are sinners, and sin has a deathly consequence. But Paul tells us earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, God shows love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place, taking upon himself the consequence of, and punishment of our sin so that now there is no condemnation for us. We are saved from the fires of hell to the eternal presence of God. That is an act of grace and mercy. The ultimate gift, we cannot forget that. That should be motivation enough for us to give our whole lives to God, amen? If reflecting on God's mercies doesn't move us, I think maybe we're on trouble, or we're in trouble. Where would we be without God's love and forgiveness? Where would we be without His presence in our lives? What kind of hope would we have without Him? Let's think about our moment. Think for a moment about our situations. Consider our families, our friends, our jobs, our church. Do we deserve any of those on merit alone? Absolutely not. If we're honest with ourselves, suddenly we begin to realize the wonder of God's mercies. Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In response to these mercies, Paul challenges us to offer or present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. We offer or present our bodies, our lives. We should use that same presentation to God with our lives as we would by giving a gift. He's not asking you to simply just hand your gift over just to yield it. He's asking you for the sacrifice for the action of giving your life. The Old Testament believers were called to make a sacrifice from a dead animal. We are called to be a sacrifice. If I were to pose this question to you, would you allow yourself to be a martyr for Christ? Most of us will be willing to stand up for our faith in a moment of courage. But if we're perfectly honest with each other right now, we might struggle a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, to die to ourselves every day and live for Christ on a daily basis. We're all works in progress, though. I know I am. If we ever feel like we finally arrived as a Christian and we no longer have to do the work, we're in a really bad place for sure. There's a story told of an aged pastor of a little Scottish church. 
he was asked to resign because there had been no conversions in the church for an entire year. I said the old preacher, it has been a lean year, but there was one. One conversion, asked an elder. Who was it? Ah, it was we, Bobby, replied the pastor. They had forgotten about a lad who had not only been saved, but had given himself in full consecration to God. It was we, Bobby, who in a missionary meeting, when the plate was passed for an offering, asked the usher to put the plate on the floor. He then stepped into it with bare feet, saying, I'll give myself. I have nothing else to give. Wee Bobby became the world-renowned Robert Moffat, who, with David Livingstone, gave his life to healing open sores on the continent of Africa. A woman asked her pastor once, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? He handed her a blank sheet of paper and said, sign your name on the bottom and uh, let God fill in the top as he wills. That's what Paul had in mind when he instructed the Roman church to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's what Robert Moffat did. That's what's expected of us as we worship. We're called to be holy, dedicated, sanctified, lived apart from the world, belonging to God. It means as individual Christians and as a corporate church, we have to do all that we can to ensure holiness is promoted. We must speak the truth in love, disciple new believers. We are commanded to be holy as God is holy. When we present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice, God is pleased. This is your true and proper worship. Paul's saying if you consider all the things that God has done for you, a sinful being, the only reasonable response is for you to offer him your life. Offering ourselves to God is nothing or something that should be... Urge, rewind. Offering ourselves to God is not something that should be contained within a 60-minute worship service on a Sunday. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice that is alive and continuous in action. That means worship not only occurs here when we're here on a Sunday morning, but in our entire world. It means worship moves away from just the one hour that we're here to the remaining 167 hours of our week. If you think about it, 168 hours in a week. You think of a week as being a long period of time, but when you break it down to 168 hours and you realize you're sleeping, I don't know, ideally eight hours a night for seven days, that takes away 56 of those hours. And so you start paring that down. You need to be worshiping all that time, guys. So we need to be relating that worship to all of our activities, each relationship, each task, each opportunity, each problem, each success, and each failure. A person may say, I'm going to church to worship God, but he or she should also be able to say, I'm going to the office to worship God. I'm going to the school to worship God. I'm going out to the garage to worship God. I'm going out to the garden to worship God. I'm going into the field to worship God. To truly know who and how you worship, let me see you in your office. Let me hear you speak in your business affairs. Let me know how you treat your neighbors. Let me know how you earn your money, how you save it, how you spend it. Worship affects everything we do and everything we are. 
It never ceases to amaze me. We've developed a kind of selective Christianity that allows us to deeply and sincerely be involved in worship and church activities, yet almost totally pagan during the day and day out of our business, of our lives. What's even sadder that some of us never even realize that there's a discrepancy. Worship is not just a church activity. It's a life activity. Worship is not something, a something time or something thing, some time thing. It's an all-the-time occurrence. Worship is not a once-a-week event. A.W. Tozer wrote, If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him one day a week. I had to read that two or three times. I was like, wow. If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him on one day a week. I found another quote from a, a man named James Pike. It said, when someone says, oh, I can worship God anywhere, well, the answer should always be, do you? I hear that all the time. Oh, I can, I can worship. I don't need to go to church on Sunday. I can worship. I go up on the mountain. I can worship. Do you? What are you doing while you're up there? You know, I'm not saying people don't do that, but people, that's just a kind of a cop-out for people to say, oh, yeah, I can, I can worship God wherever I want. Like I said before, beliefs should impact our behavior. So how can we offer ourselves as a sacrifice? Like we're talking, resolve to make worship a priority. It's not a one hour a week thing, guys. I can't reiterate that enough. Determine today to present yourself as a sacrifice. Don't put off the decision. When you wake up every morning, declare, dear God, because of Jesus, because of the mercies, I am yours. Well, the other thing we can do is we can seek out ministry opportunities, do some chores, run an errand for a friend, lend a hand, take the extra time to make a visit, pick up the phone and check on someone who's going through a struggle, volunteer to help upon a project that will show God's grace to someone else, ask around the church. We might have some painting that needs to be done. We might have some carpet cleaning that needs to be done. We might have some stuff that needs to be done around the building. We might need a ministry that needs some help. <clears throat> Man, <I clears throat> just going to put a little plug in there. Um, but volunteer. Do some ministry opportunities. It's been said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. If we're seeking out opportunities to serve and worship, we have less opportunity to fall back into temptation. Do not, the second, the second verse is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For us to have a presentable body, we must have a changed mind because the mind controls the body. This verse shows us how we can carry out the command from verse 1. There are two commands here. One is a negative, one's a positive. It says, do not conform or be conformed to the pattern of this world. Webster's Dictionary defines conform as to be or become similar in form, nature, or character. Tell me if this sounds familiar. If you want something, go get it. People are important primarily for what they can do for you. If they can't do anything for you, don't waste your time on them. Public opinion defines truth. Being popular is way more important than living a holy life. Live for the moment. Don't worry about the consequences. You are the center of your universe. You don't have to let anybody push you around. 
the world screams of tolerance that truth is not absolute. Does that sound familiar? You open up Facebook, you turn on the news, listen to conversations in the grocery store. That's the world's philosophy. We cannot allow ourselves to be shaped by these influences. We have to fight against the tide of sin, of self, and ultimately of the enemy. How much TV do you watch during the week? When you watch TV, what do you watch? How much YouTube do you watch? What kind of music do you listen to? How about books, magazines, websites? How much time do you spend on social media? Who are your friends? Are you concerned with how many Facebook friends you have? How many likes your Insta post got? Did you get as many retweets on that tweet that you had hoped? What influence do your friends have on you? What are your hobbies? So many things influence our lives. Paul's writing to the church, but we are a group of individuals. These verses are speaking specifically to us as individuals. Can one diseased fish infect the entire aquarium? Can one cow infected with mad cow disease infect the whole herd? Can one person conform to the world have an effect on our church? The answer to these questions obviously is yes. We need to be different. Stand up for Christ. Go against the grain. Be a disciple for Christ so we can be making disciples for Christ. Beliefs should impact our behavior. Paul turns from the negative there to the positive. He goes on to say, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The term transformed comes from the Greek metamorpho, which should sound familiar. It's where we get the English word metamorphosis. There's some observations in Paul's use of the word metamorpho. He uses the word in its present tense. It's not an off-again, on-again transformation. It's continuous. He uses the verb passively, implying there must be a catalyst for this transformation. It's not something that we do. The catalyst in the situation is God and the Holy Spirit. It's It's an imperative, meaning that we do have a responsibility. The Spirit changes us and enables us to offer ourselves completely to God. Worship turns our focus to how big God is. Never mind. When a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, we refer to it as a metamorphosis. This is what God wants for us. What stage are you at in your Christian transformation? Are you stuck in the larva stage? Are you a caterpillar? Are you still trying to break out of your cocoon? Have you broken out of your cocoon and you're trying to get your wings inflated? Are you an adult butterfly? We're all at different stages in our walk. But worshiping people are changed people. It's reflected in our walk, in our talk, and in our personality. When we give ourselves to God, we live not a self-centered, Christ-centered life. The world seeks to pressure our mind from without, but one who has given themselves wholeheartedly to God allows God's Spirit to release His power from within. So how can we renew our minds? We can saturate ourselves in godly thinking. Read God's Word. It's pretty simple, really. Read God's Word. But it's more important than just reading. It's a matter of absorbing, interacting with God's Word. When we read the Bible, we must constantly be asking ourselves, what does this mean for me in my daily life? Saturating ourselves in godly thinking also means exposing ourselves to godly writers, 
teachers and influences. We need to meet regularly with friends who share our commitment to Christ. We must work to expand our thinking so we're not just one-dimensional believers. It's been said that Americans have three idols, size, noise, and speed. We want things bigger, louder, faster. I'm here to tell you, church, worship runs in the opposite direction. Worship turns our focus to how big God is and how small we are. Worship reminds us to be still and know that He is God. Worship reminds us that we need to wait upon the Lord. Things happen in His timing, not ours. Today, church, would you begin the discipline of renewing your mind by getting away from the hustle, bustle, the distraction of life? Maybe turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off your cell phone. <gasps> Did I actually say that out loud? Shut down your computer, open your Bible, quiet your heart, and hear what God's saying to you. The primary goal of worship is transformation. And the only way transformation can occur is to give ourselves totally to God. So the mind and power of Jesus Christ can indwell in us. And when that happens, every moment, every activity of life, we can be like Jesus. Are you ready to put your whole self into the arms of God? Are you ready to commit your all to Jesus? James Martineau said, Worship is the free offering of ourselves to God, ever renewed, because ever imperfect, it expresses the consciousness that we are by His right, yet we have not duly passed into His hand. I once heard someone say, Commitment is the giving of all ones one knows of himself to all one knows of God. Anything less than total commitment is not worship. I'm going to ask Mary to come and, and play as we get ready to close. I want to leave you today with two statements from the Apostle Paul. First, his own testimony of desire. In Philippians 1.20, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Second, he had an exhortation in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, guys, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accepted, acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. God wants your body and your mind, all of you, so a couple questions to ask yourself this morning. Is there anything or anyone you were withholding from God? Is your marriage, your family, are they completely yielded to Him? How about your job, your finances, your relationships, hobbies? Will you present yourself to Him, all of you to Him? If you will, I guarantee your life will never be the same. I'd like to open the altars at this time, give you the opportunity to surrender some of those things that you may have been holding on to. Mary's going to play I Surrender All. We may come back and, and sing the chorus afterwards, but the altars are open.